Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're gonna hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning and welcome to Emmanuel. How's everybody feeling today? Awesome, awesome. It is so good to be here with you today. If you're joining us at our Bandit campus, welcome. Franklin campus, welcome. Garfield Park campus, we wanna welcome you. And if you're joining us online, somewhere in the country or in another, another country, we want to welcome you as well. I'll start a brand new series today called After God's Heart. Love brand new series because it's brand new content. Get super excited about that. Let me begin with a little story today. See, in a few days, my wife and I are gonna be taking our oldest son, Andrew, to college. He's gonna go to Liberty University. I mean, is there any other university to go to these days? I'm just kidding. Um, They're in some hot water right now. But anyway, uh, so we're going to take him to college. Can't believe that we've gotten to this point in our life, you know, that our oldest child is is leaving for school and uh, we've got two more to go and then we'll be empty nesters. Amen. Any empty nesters out there? Very exciting. Um, But uh, so we're we're excited about that. We're going to take him there. So my wife wanted to do this like grand finale kind of family trip this last week, just kind of just like the five Andersons together and nobody else, you know, just like force family fun memories. Anybody else do this? This is my wife's idea. So she wanted to, she's came up with this idea to go to Kings Island. So we went to Kings Island on Friday and uh, I'll show you a picture of, of us uh, at the end of the day there. Uh, we actually took our masks off. You had to wear a mask all day there, which was a struggle for me. But uh, anyway, so uh, we took our masks off. Great pick. Then we put them back on after the photo. And uh, it, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun. And we spent, we spent some really good family time. But on the drive there, we were having discussions about roller coasters, and I, I've just kind of over, I've been over roller coasters for many, many years. Anybody else? You know, they just, I, I've gotten nauseous, I've thrown up, they've made me sick. And so I just kind of made a kind of a secret goal. It's like, I'm just not going to get nauseous. I'm not going to put myself, not going to pay to feel awful. Anybody else? You know what I'm saying? That's like not a good deal. So I'm like, you guys can ride. I'll be, you know, the dad and, you know, everybody bring the bags over here. I'll sit over here in the corner and wait for everybody to get, you know, so I have no problem with that. And so uh, when we get there, you know, my wife wants to kind of start off slow, maybe like with the racer, you know, it's like a little, you know, little bunny hill kind of thing. But no, 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 my middle child, he's like, no, let's go on the big one. So I was like, okay, so we go over there and, and uh, the big one, I don't even know what the name of it is, but there's this huge drop and then there's this loop and your feet are hanging and it's just this crazy roller coaster. So I sit that out. My wife sits it out. But when my two sons come back, they wrote it. My oldest comes off the ride and he's like white and he's sweating. And I'm like, that's what I was avoiding right there. Right, that, that feeling, that look, you know, he was just like almost turning green a little bit. And uh, so he had to spend, you know, an hour on the, uh, you know, just kind of chilling on the side over here. But so I made it my goal uh, to, 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 to not get nauseous. So here's, here's the kind of fun that I had. Uh, uh, this, you know, I just, I had a great, time, you know, and, and you, you can't see this, but my daughter is kind of in the back seat there, so she, she didn't want to ride that one, but, but I made her anyway, because this is forced family fun here, you know. I was having a blast. I did not get nauseous. Not one time. 
here's, the, here's what I want to put in your notes. I'm going to tie this together. I promise there's something spiritual with this, okay? So here's in your notes. Everyone is seeking something. On Friday, I was seeking not to get nauseous. I was seeking to have some quality time with my family. My wife put this trip together so that we could create memories. On any given day, on any given day you are seeking something. You're seeking happiness, you're seeking a new job, you're seeking a raise, you're seeking peace in your home. Some of you are just seeking more sleep, if you could just get more sleep. Some of you are seeking acceptance, affirmation. Some of you are seeking a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or whatever. We're always seeking something. Do you agree with this? You're here today because you were seeking something. You're online watching right now because you're hoping to hear something encouraging, something hopeful, something helpful for your life. We're all, this is how God has made us. We are seeking creatures. Everybody understand that? Jesus knew this about us, and that's why he told us one of the most profound things he's ever said to us, one of those most practical things he ever wrote down or ever put down in a sermon is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Listen to the language. But seek first. He knows you're going to seek a lot of things. There's going to be a list of things that you're going to seek after. A college degree, a bigger home. Some of you want to buy a new car or a boat or whatever. Peace in your family. You're seeking a lot of things. Jesus says, I want you to seek first. What? His kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And if you would do that with your life, if you would prioritize the kingdom of God in your life, all of these other things will be given to you as well. What other things? A home to live in, and family peace, and you know, money to come in, and, and friendship, and acceptance, and all these other things that God knows you're seeking after. He will give those to you if you will prioritize the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? We've talked about this before at church. We have to talk about it a lot because we lose sight of it. The kingdom of God is the place where God is doing things. It's the realm of his effective will. It's the place where God has say, where God has rule, where God gets what God wants. It's the place that God is active. It's the, it's the place where God is presently doing things in the world. The kingdom involves a king and a king has a will. A king has a plan, a king has an agenda, and he expects the people in his kingdom to execute that will and to get with that will and those desires and those plans. Some theologians are too smart for themselves, and they think that the kingdom is this thousand-year reign that's going to come in the future where Jesus you know, locks the devil in hell for a thousand years and he rules on earth for a thousand That's going to happen, but that's not the kingdom that Jesus is referring to here. That's called the millennium. That's in the future. Jesus is not talking about the millennium. He's talking about your life, his disciples' life, right now. How do we know that? Because he says all these other things like money and a job and a spouse and friendship and acceptance and value and meaning and significance and all these other things will be added unto you if you first seek the kingdom of God in your life right now. When this is the primary message that Jesus had. When he came to earth in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when he first started preaching the message of the gospel, it was very, very simple. He said, repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn. It means to change your direction. It means to do an about face. It means to do a 180. Turn from living in your kingdom, doing things the way you want to do them. You're the boss. You're the queen. You're the king. You, you call the shots. Turn from living in your own kingdom and step into the kingdom of God because it, is, it has come near. It is right there. You can grab hold of it. The kingdom of God. It's the best life on earth. I don't care if you give somebody a billion dollars, it doesn't compare to life in the kingdom of God. 
I don't care if you make someone the CEO of a major, major company and they make millions and millions of dollars and they have all kinds of authority. It doesn't compare to life in the kingdom. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he used provocative language. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, listen to what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Now, treasure is like gold and silver and rubies and, and precious stones and gems. If you found treasure in a field, would it not change your life? Would you not retire? Would you not do something different? Would you not quit that job? Would you not go on a perpetual vacation? <laughs> we would if we found hidden treasure in a field. Jesus says, you know what? The kingdom is sort of like finding something that will change your life forever. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that a man discovered. And what did he do? In his excitement, in his joy, in his jubilation, whatever word you want to use, he hid the treasure and he went and he sold everything that he had, all of his stuff, all of his clothing, all of his toys, all of his gadgets, all of his furniture, all of his house, his clothing. He sold everything he owned. Why? To get the money so that he could buy the field because what was in the field? It was the treasure. That's pretty provocative. Jesus says that's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of God, living with God, where God is doing things, where, where God is acting is so valuable, it's worth you giving up everything you have. Now, Jesus doesn't require that we do that. We can step in it right now, many of you have, without giving up everything that you own. But he says that's what it's worth. Why? Because it's the best life on earth. Why? Because living in the kingdom provides you something that nothing in this world can give you. Some of you are waiting for a vaccine to be happy again. You are. You are, and you're not going to be okay until things settle down and, you know, the virus goes away and all the racial tension goes away, and so you're just going to be miserable until the circumstances change. That's not life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom is no matter what's going on in your life, if there's a pandemic, if there's all kinds of rioting and racial tension, whatever the situation is, we've gone through horrific things before as a human race, there's nothing new going on. No matter what's going on in the outside, in the external circumstances, you can have joy right now. Why? Because joy is a, a pervasive sense of well-being that is rooted not in your circumstances, hello, but in the goodness of God. That's joy. How do you find joy? In the kingdom. Walking with God. Living with God. When you're not in the kingdom, you cannot find that joy. You can only find external happiness, which is dependent upon your circumstances changing. That relationship getting better and the job getting better or getting a new job or making more money or the kids obeying or whatever. In the kingdom, there's joy. What about peace? What is peace? Peace is a little bit different from joy. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being rooted in the goodness of God. Peace, according to Dallas Willard, that's where I'm getting this information, is rest of soul rooted in the sovereignty of God. Now, what does that mean? Rest of soul is just, you know, you know it's just, I'm at peace. Like, everything's going to be all right. I'm at peace. You're at peace. Jesus said, peace is the gift that I have for you. Not as the world gives it. Not as Dave Ramsey gives it, financial peace. That is a kind of peace. But I'm gonna offer you 
peace that comes from the kingdom of God, rest of soul that is rooted in the sovereignty of God. Now, that's a big word that just simply means God is in control of all of the events. Think about Joseph. When, we, when the, the, the coronavirus first flared up, I gave a talk on Joseph. Joseph was able to have strength and courage and joy and peace. Why? Because in the midst of getting sold by his brothers, in the midst of getting accused of rape, he still focused. He still did his work. He still served in Potiphar's house. He still served in the jail and became number the number one guy in the warden, in, in the jail cell, according to, you know, from the, in the, from the warden's perspective. How did he do that? He had peace, joy, peace, strength, purpose, meaning. This is life in the kingdom. The ability to rise above the anxiety and the anger and the frustration and all of the, the, that, all the things that people are experiencing in our culture today. Man, people are on edge. Have you noticed that? Have you seen the fights in the airports? Man, people are people are fighting in the in the uh, in the grocery stores. They're just mad. You know, you're not wearing a mask. This not. They're just frustrated. You're a racist. This people calling people things. It is a tough world out there today. People, have you noticed they're like they are they are right on the edge, and all it takes is one little nudge, and they are over the edge. Have you noticed this? The other day, I was picking up my son from the airport. He, he had to uh, come home, and it was a late flight. It was like I don't know nine thirty or ten o'clock, and. 465 was, uh, was backed up, so I got off uh, some exit indicator, okay? I really didn't know where I was, uh, so we're there, and we're looking at the blue dot. You know, you ever, t- you ever follow the blue dot? <laughs> I mean, when I'm lost, that's, I'm just, I'm so reliant on the blue dot. I just, so we're following it, and, and uh, I'm like, you know, uh, we, we come to the stoplight, and, and it looks like we have to go left, and so, um, uh, but I, was in the, I wasn't in the turning lane, and the light turned green. And so there's people behind me. I'm like, oh, now this is my fault, okay? So I'm gonna blame this on me. So if the guy is watching, this is my fault. Um, <laughs> so I didn't wanna go because then I would have to go and make a U-turn, I should have done that. But instead, I, I noticed that he had a left, uh, a red left turning signal. So, and there was a little bit of space in front of him. So I knew I had to go left and I was kind of lost. So I, I just scooted my car in front of his, just kind of, you know, just real quick. You know, you know, and then I stopped, and I was kind of sideways, but I was in front of him, and then the traffic went. I was like, okay, I think we're good, you know, we get, and all of a sudden, this, this guy, you know, this big truck, he pulls up a little bit, and I kind of look at, I see the corner of my eye, and I see him hop out of his car, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is happening right here. You know, this is going down. This reminds me of New York City, you know, but it's Decatur, Indiana. I mean, it's a little bit different. So, so he gets out of his car, and I'm, my son is, we're both like, okay, you know, and my, ins- I instinctively wanted to def- diffuse the situation. I don't know, I just, so I put my window down, and he's coming at me, and he starts F-bombing me in this and pointing his finger, and I could tell he just wanted to, he just wanted to get into me, you know, and I even felt like he wanted to punch me. I mean, I, so it's just, so, so I'm like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I, I, and I, I grabbed my phone, I said, I'm just, we're, we're just lost, like, I'm just trying to follow the blue dot, you know, I don't know, I, I mean, I don't know, I, you know, I, we have to go left, and I apologize, and I'm sorry, and, you know, and still, he just kind of said a couple more things, and I could tell he just wanted to just show some effing respect next time, like, okay, I will, I'm sorry, we're, like, we're idiots, we're lost, we don't know what we're doing, you know, and, and I, I didn't say all that, but, 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 you know, I was thinking that, and finally, he kind of went back in his truck, and I, and I was just like, like, that is where people are today. So I, I pull in front of you and you want to fight? Like, this is how people get shot. Like, what if I was on edge? 
What if I was a bad dude and all tatted up and bald head and like had a gun in the back of the car? Like, oh yeah, you're gonna get out of your car? You know, I mean, who are these people? I mean, I'm thankful that I'm like, I'm backed up from the ledge. You know, I'm trying to live in the kingdom, right? Sheesh. There's not many people living in the kingdom today. I mean, have you noticed? Have you noticed anxiety, anger, frustration? People turn into alcohol, drugs to kind of cope and deal with life. There's not many people. Jesus said it like this one time. He said, he said that wide is the path that leads to destruction and many go down that path. Narrow is the way that leads to life and only a few people find it. Isn't that true? Don't you find that? There's not many people living with a pervasive sense of well-being rooted in the goodness of God, joy. There's not many people living with peace, rest of soul rooted in the sovereignty of God. There, there's just not that many people living without anger or without anxiety or, or without this, all the frustrations going on. But you can because that was Jesus' offer. What if you decided to seek the kingdom of God and you forgot about what everybody else was doing, the whole world, millions and billions of people, and you said, you know what? I'm not gonna give in to discouragement. I'm not gonna give in to anger. I'm not gonna give in to this temptation to call people racist and do this and blah, 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 take sides. I'm not gonna give in to my, these angry posts on Facebook and blah, 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 point. I'm not gonna give in. I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna seek the kingdom of God. You know, you can do that. You can be the one person who decides to seek the kingdom of God. That's what I'm trying to do with my life. Why? Because it's the best life on earth. There's nothing better. It's the treasure hidden in a field. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God first above everything else. And I'll make sure everything else is taken care of for you. What if you, what if you wanted to do that? Who would you look to? What examples are there in the Bible? I'm so thankful we don't have to look far. Because there's actually a guy in the Bible, his name is David. And he was a guy that decided to seek the kingdom of God. Before Jesus would ever preach that sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, he was a guy that said, God, I'm going to seek your will. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to dedicate my life to serving you and loving you and honoring you. And so we can actually look into the Bible and see how he did it and follow his example and become the type of person who seeks the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, this is what is written about David. A man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse. Watch this. A man after my own heart. He's the only person in the Bible that this is said about. That this statement, he was a, a man after my heart. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart or a person after God's own heart? You know what it means? It means to have the, the parts of your heart. There are really three parts of your heart. Your soul, your thoughts, your cravings, desires, emotions, your, your emotional life, and then your will, your decisions. Mind. Emotions, decisions. That's what makes up your heart. That's what makes up my heart. To be a person after God's own heart is to say, you know what? I'm going to think like God. I'm going to feel like God. And I'm going to act like God. God says, this guy David was a man whose heart, mind, emotions, and decisions were in line with my thoughts, my emotions, and my decisions. This is a guy who sought the kingdom of God. What I would like to do over the next couple of weeks, if, if, if you play along with me, is to look at the, some stories in the Bible that will help us to understand 
how did David do this? How did David get his soul, his heart aligned with God's heart? What was it about David that made God say this statement? He is a man after my own heart. Does that sound like fun? And then maybe we can learn from David and become ourselves. Maybe God would say this about you at the end of your life. She was a woman after my own heart. Wouldn't that be something you show up to heaven, you die, because we're all gonna die. You show up and God's like, oh, there you are. She's after my own heart. Or there he is, a, a man after my own what would be better to hear from God when you show up on that day anything let's look at it what was it about David that made him a man after God's own heart first of all David was willing to obey now I was very careful about how I wrote that David didn't always obey and we're going to find out about that in week three okay we're going to talk about that but he was willing to obey he wanted to obey it was his desire to obey let's look back at uh, at Acts chapter 13 the whole verse I didn't show you the whole verse but God removed Saul, who was the first king of Israel. We'll talk about that in a second. And he replaced him with David, a man after whom God said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Look at the next phrase. Watch this. I didn't show this to you. He will do everything I want him to do. And there it is. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? It means that you have decided to try, to want, to say, God, what is it that you want to do? In my friendships, how should I do friendship? I'll do it. With my sexuality, how do you say to do sex? I'll do, I'll do it that way. Uh, money, with money, God, how do you want me to handle finances? And I'll do it your way. God, how do you want me to do when it comes to my work ethic at work or my studies in college or, or whatever? How do you want me to, what kind of student do you want me to, I'll do it your way. That's a person after God's own heart. It's so simple. There, this is a person who simply says, God, I want to do it your way. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to live in my own kingdom. I'm not going to be my own king or my own queen. I'm not going to call my own shots. I'm not going to be selfish and do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. That's, that's what David did. That's what made him a man after God's heart, which, which, which is very different from Saul. Saul was, started out okay, and he was the first king of Israel, and he was tall, and he was handsome, and he, was, he, was, he looked like a king. He played the part of a king. He even had some early successes. In Saul's first battle against the Philistines, the Philistines were the enemy of the Israelites. He won. They, the, the Israelites defeated the, the Philistines, and there was this, you know, you know, it looked like he was going to be a great king. And, but all of a sudden, the, the, the Philistines kind of mustered their army. They're like, okay, we lost that battle, but we're going we're gonna to rebuild. And they came back to fight Israel with this huge army with 6,000 chariots and charioteers and you know, as many soldiers as you can count uh, sand on the seashore. And, 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 and all of a sudden, Samuel says to Saul, Samuel was the prophet, he says to Saul, I want you to go to Gilgal, which is a place right there in, in, uh, in, the, in the area of Israel, Jerusalem. He says, I want you to stay there for seven days. Don't do anything. Don't fight them. Just wait for me to get there. This is, what, this is God's command to you. Do not move, do not fight, do not do anything. You can look at it yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. Do, stay at Gilgal for seven days. So, so Saul's like, okay, I'll stay there for seven days. So on the seventh day, it's getting late in the day. Sun's going down. Saul's men are beginning to, to become overwhelmed with fear. They're hiding in caves. They're running. They're retreating. Samuel hasn't showed up yet. Saul decides, man, I can't wait any longer. And he takes matters into his own hands and he starts to offer the sacrifice, the burnt sacrifice, to hear from God, which was the job of Samuel. Only the prophet was supposed to do that. But he said, I'm just gonna do it myself. And after he's done offering the sacrifice, guess who shows up? On the seventh day, like he said he would, Samuel shows up. 
Listen to what he says. First Samuel chapter 13. How foolish! Saul, what a fool you are! You have, watch this, not kept the command that the Lord God gave you. You have disobeyed what God said. Had you kept it, had you obeyed God, the Lord would have established your kingdom forever over Israel. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has, watch this, sought, what, who? Sought after a man after his own heart, who will obey instead of disobeying. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader over his people because you, Saul, had not kept the Lord's command. If Saul would have just obeyed, if his heart would have just been in a posture to say, God, whatever, I'm gonna do it your way. I'm not gonna do it my way. Your way is better than mine. I'm gonna obey it. This is what you said. This is if he had done that, he would have stayed the king forever and then his children and grandchildren would have inherited the throne. Instead, God said, no, I gotta find somebody who will obey. David's heart was in a posture of, God, whatever you want, that is what I will do. I will obey you. Now, obedience is not a very popular idea today. It's almost kind of childish, like obey. It's like, okay, you know, I don't wanna obey. I don't even wanna obey. We don't wanna obey. We don't like to be told what to do, right? So I'm gonna give you a little bit of a different twist on obedience that I think will really help you. This is, the, this is kind of what the biblical idea of obedience is in your notes there. Listen to this. Obedience is about being a person whose primary concern is what God wants. That's it. It's not childish, it's not immature, it's just you and I saying, you know what, the most important thing in my life is that God gets what God wants. That's what it looks like to be a person who seeks the kingdom. That's what it looks like to be a person whose heart is synced up with God's. In any given situation, whatever situation they're in, whether it's at work, whether it's in the home with parenting, whether it's a financial decision you're trying to make, whatever, wherever you find yourself, whatever the context is of your days, you're asking this question, God, what is it that you want in this? Not what do I want, not what do I think, but God, what do you think and what would you want in this given situation? That's what an obedient person looks like. That was David. When I was at Liberty University many, many years ago, I came across a passage in Psalm chapter 40. David wrote 75 out of 100, 73 out of 150 psalms. He was one of the greatest musicians, psalmists of Israel. He said these words in Psalm 40. He said, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written in my heart. And I was like, wow, that's it. That's, that has to be the posture of my heart. There's a lot of things you can delight in, but what did David delight in? What does it mean to delight in something anyway? It means to take joy in it, right? To take joy in, it, in your children, their accomplishments, or take joy in a bowl of ice cream, you know? Did you know that Starbucks, you can sit inside Starbucks now? They changed the rules. I was there this week. I was delighting in my seat, inside. Cup of coffee, write a sermon. David says, I delight when I get a chance to do your will. Not my will, but your will. A person who seeks the kingdom is a person who's seeking to do God's will. Delighting to do God's will. That's what obedience is. An obedient person says, the primary concern of my life is that God gets what God wants in every sphere of my life. And then in my family. And then in my workplace. And then in my community. And then in my country. That's what it means to be a person whose heart is after God's own heart. Jesus gave us this prayer 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. See, seeking the kingdom and delighting in God's will are the same thing. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's why he gave us this prayer, so that we could reorient our lives around doing what God wants. Imagine how our community would change. Your home, your life. If God got his way in every aspect of your life, it would transform your life. It would change everything. You would find joy. You would find peace. You would find strength. You would be able to live above anxiety, live above anger. You'd stop making those terrible, nasty posts on Facebook because <laughs> you're so angry at the other side of the political spectrum. You'd be able to love your neighbors yourself. You'd be able to forgive. You'd be gentle in heart. Your words would be uplifting and encouraging. You'd be a blessing to be around. You'd be a kingdom person. You say, man, I kind of want to, I kind of want that. I do too. It's a treasure hidden in the field. There's no better way to live. How do you get it? Well, it all comes down to love. See, David loved God. Psalm 63, verse one, he said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Psalm 42, verse one, he said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you, oh my God. When can I come up here before God? David had a love affair with God. He loved him. He adored God. He worshiped God. Just read some of the Psalms. The poetry came out of him. His, His adoration and love for God was extreme. He was a warrior poet. We had a love affair with God. A lot of times people think that love is romantic or has anything, has to do with feelings or even uh, attraction and sexuality. There's a Greek word that, uh, called eros that, 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 that is a type of love. But more, more biblical uh, or more closer to the truth is, is this concept that love is actually doing what is best for another person regardless of how you feel, which is how Jesus was able to say to us, love your enemies. I mean, do you feel happy? Do you you feel warm feelings about your enemies? Do you? No, you want to kill them, right? (laughs) I mean, that's the natural, that's what you want to feel. And then Jesus comes along, oh, hey, love your enemies. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, if I don't have a proper understanding of what love is, if I think it's feelings, if I feel good about someone, you know, I can't love my enemies. But if love is doing what is best for somebody, then it is possible to love your enemies. Sometimes your enemies need to go to jail. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to call the police. Parents, pay attention. Most times, the most loving thing you can do for your kids is to punish them and say, no, you may not do that. You sound, well, you say, well, they won't like me. I know they won't like you, but that's the most loving thing to do because you know they need that. Love is doing what is best for somebody else. And so if you love somebody, you're willing to do what they value most. Jesus said this, This is what love is. Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. How interesting. He didn't say whoever loves me is gonna, you know, sing and 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 have all strong emotions for me and and just you know, you know, just be all over themselves about me. No, they're gonna say, no, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's real simple. And then my father will love them, and we meaning himself, the spirit, and the father, Trinity, and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. God is very close to an obedient person. 
Why? Because that obedient person has synced up his heart with God's heart. God says, we've got one. We've got a woman who will, will do what we want. We've got a man who will do what we want. God comes close to that person. And then he says this, dagger in the heart. If you don't love me, you won't obey me. So, so if I asked everybody in the crowd today, do you love God? A lot of us would say, yeah, I love God. Okay, are you obeying Jesus when it comes to, I don't know, say how you treat your neighbor, how you handle your money, what you do with your sexuality? Well, I, I mean, I know you put it that way. I mean, what does the Bible say about sex? I don't know. I, I, see? The test of your love for God is the love of your obedience. If love is doing what is best for somebody, which it is, what is best for God? Because that's what it would be to love God. To love God would be to do what's best for God. Well, it's so interesting. What's best for God is that we obey him. That's what's best for God. I mean, what does God ask of us? Right? He gives us the Ten Commandments. What's the first one, right? Don't have any other gods before me. What's the, what's, the, what's the most important commandment? Love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he wants. What's best for God is that we obey him, which is ironic because what ends up happening to be what's best for us is obeying God. Why? Because he loves us. So he wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is that we obey his commandments. And when we obey his commandments, things go really, really, really well for us. It's, it's an amazing thing. If you would do what God says and obey what he says out of his word in every aspect of your life, your life will be extraordinarily blessed. Not perfect, but you will be blessed. And if you don't, it's gonna be very, very tough for you. Love, it all comes down to love. A person who loves God says, God, I'm gonna do what you want. I'm gonna follow your ways. One time Jesus said this, the person who hears my teachings and obeys them is like a person who builds their house on a rock. And then the storms of life come in, winds and waves and storms and floods, coronaviruses and you know, all kinds of stuff and racial tension and all kinds of craziness. But their house doesn't fall because it's built on a rock. What is that rock? We want to say, well, the rock is Jesus. Well, it is, but the rock is your obedience to the teachings of Jesus. That's why the house stands, because you did what Jesus said. On the flip side, he says, but the person who hears my words and doesn't obey them is a person who builds their house on the sand. And then the storms of life come and the, all the problems and the winds and the waves, and that person's house collapses because they did not obey my teachings. I was looking at a study the other day. James Q. Wilson, he's a professor at UCLA, was a professor at Harvard of political science, and he said that if you want to make it to the middle class and not get stuck in poverty, you just have to obey three rules. Graduate high school, which is not in the Bible. High school students, are you happy about that? <laughs> You should still do it, but Jesus doesn't command you to graduate high school. This is a political science professor. Rule number one, graduate high school. Rule number two, do not get pregnant before 20. Number three, do not get pregnant before you get married. If you can do those three things, you will make it to the middle class. 
But if you have promiscuous, promiscuous sex in high school and you get pregnant before you graduate and you get pregnant before you're married, you are almost guaranteeing that you will stay stuck in poverty. Now, this isn't Jesus talking, but guess what he said about sex? He said the same thing. It's for a husband and a wife in the context of marriage, and there's blessings that come from that, economic blessings that come from that. You'll be blessed. You'll be successful. This isn't like, you know, Jesus' stuff on sex isn't outdated. It's very relevant for today, and it, it works. And so if it works for sexuality, it works for finances. If it works for finances, it works for your emotional life, your, your anxiety levels, and your fear levels. If we will just do what he said. Do you agree that Jesus knows everything about everything? I hope every hand goes up. I hope you do. I hope you do. Because he... He's way smarter than Einstein. He is way smarter than some of you. Sir Isaac Newton, you could put anybody out there to, you know, to, to challenge the intelligence of Jesus. He wins every time. He knows everything about everything. So when he says something about prayer or money or sex, I'm just like, done. You know best. Obey. My heart is to do what you have said in that specific area of your life. So if he were here today and he were to kind of speak through me, which I pray that he does and I hope that he does get a word in in the midst of all my brokenness and selfishness, all that stuff. If he were here today, he, I don't think he would ask you this question. Will you seek the kingdom? I think he would tell you to seek the kingdom. He did. Matthew 6, I don't think he would say to you, do you want to be a person after my own heart? He would say, you should be a person after my own heart. He wouldn't even say, will you obey me? That wouldn't be the question he would ask. Will you obey me? Do you want to seek the kingdom? No, no, no. You know the question he would ask? It's a very simple one. Do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you love me, you're going to obey me. You're going to seek to become a person whose primary concern is my will, not your will. And that's what it looks like to love God. And the ironic thing is, is that as you obey me, because I love you, that's what's best for you, you end up building your house on a rock so that when all hell breaks loose, literally, your house is strong and you're taking the waves and you're taking the wind. You're not giving into anxiety, hatred, anger, bitterness, hopelessness. Did you know the CDC just came out? Center for Disease Control just came out. You don't hear this a lot on CNN. You probably won't on any of the news channels. The CDC just came out and said that there are now more high school students committing suicide than people dying from the coronavirus in America. You can check it. Some of you are gonna Google it anyway. How horrific. Why? They're giving up. Hopelessness, discouragement. They're watching the adults act like fools. We are acting like fools. And these are the teenagers. And they're like, well, if the adults are losing their mind, what hope do I have? We have got to build our house on the rock. We have to take the teachings of Jesus and obey them. And Jesus, if, you love, if you love him, you will obey him. Jesus said the treasure, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. It is so valuable and so precious it is worth selling everything you have to obtain it. It is the best life on earth. Some of you need to step into the kingdom today. You're not in the kingdom. You're not a believer in Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And here's Jesus' message to you. It's a simple one. It's the one he started with 2,000 years ago. Repent. 
For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Today has come near. It is right there for you to reach out and grab it, but you have to repent. Repent means to turn. Turn away from being your own boss, your own God, calling the shots, living a self-centered, selfish life. You must turn from that and step into the kingdom of God where he's in charge. He calls the shots. He is the shepherd. He is the Lord. He's in charge. And you say, yes, sir. I'll live the way you want. The primary concern of my life is you getting what you want. You can do that today by faith. You enter the kingdom of God by faith. There's, there's not a, a fee you need to pay. <laughs> there's not a ceremony you need to attend. You don't have to get baptized, circumcised. You don't have to go through confirmation, anything like that. Some of you are like, did he just say circumcised? <laughs> well, that's what you had to do to become a Jew way, way, way many, many years ago. So this is a terrible situation. You don't have to go through any of that. You just have to step in by faith and trust Jesus that he died on the cross for your sins. It's a free gift of grace. It doesn't cost you anything except faith. Will you trust him today? Will you, will you turn to him today? Will you turn away from, listen, you've been living in your kingdom long enough. You have done screwed it up. Can I get an amen? You are messing it up. You are not designed to be God. You're not designed to call the shots in your life. You're not designed to be in control. You're designed to live underneath the chief shepherd, the one who knows everything about everything, the one who is the smartest in the world, the one who is sovereign, the one whose heart is good, the one who's told you he'll take care of you. Will you step into that kingdom today? I'm gonna say a simple prayer of faith. If you feel led in your heart to move this direction, take these words and make them your own. Will you pray with me? Say this simple prayer. It's not the words, it's the faith behind the words. Dear Jesus, I turn from my own kingdom, from being the boss of my own life to you. I surrender to you. I trust you to be my king. I believe that you gave your life to make that possible. I believe you died on a cross to wash away all my sin, my guilt, my shame, to cleanse my heart. So I ask you right now, would you wash me? Would you be my savior? Forgive me of my sin. I reach out to you. I believe in you. And from this day forward, give me the wisdom to obey. Help me to love you with everything I have. Help me to make your will the primary concern of my life. I wanna build my house on a rock. I wanna honor you with my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you. Come on, nice and loud. Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, online, amen. If you just trusted Christ, we would love to put a box in your hands. We call it our save box. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from their sins. 
Inside this box, there is a Bible, a New Testament. We would love to put that in your hands. There's also some instructions on how to get in a small group and baptism. And there's a cup in here as a gift from us to you just to say congratulations. If you would text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 65248, we would love to send one of these to you. And the mail will get you started on your new relationship with Christ. One more time, guys, can we give God a hand? Amen.